0: What's up, storytellers? I would love to kick off today's episode by thanking our listeners for taking the time to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and for also leaving a rating and a review. Sarah Eliz, writer, recently rated our show five stars and left an awesome review, titling it What Are You Waiting For? She continued to write, if you're a writer and you want to learn more about the craft of writing and the business of publishing and want to be overall inspired, then you've found your podcast. Yin has outstanding questions and engaging conversations with authors, illustrators, and industry professionals. And I really appreciate the episode notes with links. Love this podcast. Oh my gosh, a Sarah Eliz writer, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to leave such a thoughtful review. You are wonderful. Before we introduce today's guest, come join us over at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 Cups of Tea. Our private Facebook community is incredible. The storytellers in our group are so loving and supportive of each other, and we'd really love to welcome you into our conversations that happen on the daily. So come meet us over at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 Cups of Tea. Now on to today's guest. We have poet, novelist, and essayist Erica L. Sanchez on the show with us. Erica was a Fulbright Scholar. Canto Mundo Fellowship recipient, and Bread Loaf Scholar. Her debut young adult novel, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, is a New York Times bestseller and was named a finalist for the National Book Award for Young People's Literature. In this episode, Erica walks us through how she pushed through the difficulty of finding a job during the recession. We discuss why it's crucial to live for yourself and to live truthfully. And for writers, we talk about how to alleviate writer's block. Now let's jump right in. Erica, how are you? I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm doing great. Thank you. I mentioned this a little bit before when we were chatting. You got accepted into Randolph College's new MFA program to teach in their creative writing program. And that is so exciting. How are you feeling?
1: I'm really excited. I realized how much I love teaching this semester because I'm teaching here at Princeton. And, and it's just been really incredible and excited to continue doing that in another space. What attracted you to Randolph Colleges? Well, you know, they approached me and I had already seen their lineup before and I was very, very impressed. And they reached out to me and I accepted because it sounds like such an amazing opportunity and I feel like it'll be a lot of fun. I know a lot of the people that are teaching there. So it sounds great. I feel it's
0: going to be on your own retreat in a way when you're hanging out with friends too and you know everybody there. So that's going to yeah. be a serious- super fun time. (laughs) It's exactly like a summer camp. And I'm excited for your students and lucky them, they get to learn from you. I would love to backtrack. There's like a specific memory that you can share, whether it was a catalyst that really got you into Writing or the love of writing, you know, that you do poetry as well. Whether that was poetry or freehand writing, whatever memories that
1: you can conjure up, please share with us. I spent a lot of my childhood by myself. I think that's probably why I love to read so much. My parents, they worked in factories and they were exhausted a lot of the time, so they didn't have a lot of energy to really engage us at times. And so I would retreat into books. Also, my older brother, he was like five years older than I was. And so he didn't want to hang out with his little sister. So he (laughs) needed my stack of books. And I'm glad in a way that that's how my life unfolded, because I love reading and I love being alone and thinking about stories and things like that. It makes me really happy. I always loved novels and fiction. I was in sixth grade when I discovered poetry and it just did something to me. It felt an innate calling. I started writing poems at that age. Of course, most of them were bad, (laughs) And I continued writing poems throughout high school. Some of them were actually pretty good. I have a few copies of some of them. I was known as the weird poet girl with the fishnet stockings and the shaved head. That was kind of my thing. When I was 12 and I discovered that I loved to write poetry, I decided that's what I was going to do. And so ever since then, I've been writing
0: I feel like you knew your future pretty early on, more than most people. Did you start choosing a track, whether it was in specific classes in college and also schooling? How did that go about? And how was that telling your parents? I know, especially because we're both from immigrant families. Yeah, I see writing as a part of an artistic form, of course. I consider it the arts. i was so curious about your family's reaction, especially your parents. Did you even tell them that you were going into writing?
1: I always told them that that's what I was going to do. It was perplexing to them. They always worried about how I was going to make a living. That makes sense. I grew up fairly poor and my parents immigrated from Mexico and they struggled a lot and they didn't want me to struggle. I understand that completely, but it was the only thing I've ever wanted to do. So I was pretty determined, even if everyone else thought it was unrealistic and kind of silly. I was like, well, nothing else is going to make me happy. So it has to work. In college, I studied English. I got a BA in English creative writing. And then I got a Fulbright to Spain.
0: Belated congratulations but congratulations.
1: Thank you. It was amazing. It was such a formative year for me. And part of my project that I proposed was that I would work on my poetry. And so when I started to really realize that people cared about my work, maybe I could make it as a writer. I did that. And then I came back to the United States and got an MFA in creative writing. And after that, Man, it was tough because it was during the recession and Mm. it was really difficult after I graduated to find any sort of job that was in any form related. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought it through. I just thought everything would work out, but it did not work out. And so for several years, I was struggling with jobs that I hated and always making time for writing on the side, always. It was prioritized consistently. And I would turn things down because I felt like I needed to write. People didn't really understand that. I wrote a lot for free, for crappy websites. I just really put in the work. And then finally, now in my early-ish 30s, I'm approaching mid-30s, it's finally paying off. But it took a long time. And I think for my entire 20s, my parents were really confused as to what i was trying to do <laughs> <laughs> and there were times where i felt completely lost because i felt like maybe i was delusional Do mm. i really think i could do this but again it was the only thing that made me happy so it's like what else am i gonna do i'm not gonna just take some crappy job and like yes. be a corporate cog yes with, you know that will suck the life out of me. Yes. I'm miserable. I'm 33 now, and everything is starting to come together. But yeah, I had a lot of rough patches, and I think my parents were just worried, and rightly so. I had a hard time making money and a hard time keeping jobs because all I wanted to do was be a writer. But it's all worked out and now they're super proud, which is great. I just got a little teary. I, I very much
0: I really resonate with you. I know that's not an easy thing. Those are years of challenges and struggles. I felt very strongly about everything you said. I felt we almost had very parallel paths in a way. Oh really? Yeah. You're my baby stuff too. I <laughs> knowing that my parents were very upset i mean obviously my mom expressed it in a more angry like not angry but more like sure. you know what what kind of what's wrong with you you know what, what kind of choice is this like american kids are so spoiled just thinking of, you know left <laughs> and right you can just choose anything like don't you understand what hard work is but then in my mind i was like i am going through hard work but in my own choice in my own field it's a different kind of work it's a different kind of work writers and actors we go through rejections left and right oh my you god you gotta push yeah. through like nobody's freaking business when I hear that and I understand and I get what you're saying I understand what our parents are saying because they worked their ass off like my mom was always like we worked our asses off I was able to pay myself through tuition I was able to pay my sister's tuition blah 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 blah. and here you are going on with your acting you know with your auditions. Yeah. you know <laughs> it's like as if la-di-da. Also with writing. And my mom would say like things that are a bit harsh, but it was out of love for sure. She was so fearful of, like you said, your parents didn't want you to have to go through the struggles, right? Of worrying about paying your bill, about not having a stable income. My mom and my dad are all about stability. That's very much, again, ingrained in an immigrant mentality is mm-hmm. the word... Stability, because they work so hard. They worked their asses off night and day so that our generation didn't have to worry too much about that. To see that we chose ourselves to go in a path of instability in their minds, it's like, what the hell? You just went full circle. What was I working yeah. my ass
1: off for? I think it's a common story for immigrant so, children. Exactly, you don't feel you have the right to, in a sense, do what you want to do. Then that guilt on top of that is like, damn. I've dealt with a lot of guilt. I'm finally getting rid of it as an adult woman.
0: (laughs) Me too. I feel like I'm starting to come around. I hit my 30s recently and I'm just like, okay, this is a choice I made for me personally. And I'm not sure if this is similar, but I had to really force myself to face my decisions that I made and just really very much own it. Because when you go through this, why go through it with guilt? Because then it's going to slow me down. Right. Go through it with all your heart. Yes, it is. And it's just like, why? Might as well rewind the years and choose the path my parents wanted me to if I'm going to live with guilt anyway. Guilt can really eat you up and really slow you down from what you're meant to do.
1: And if you're miserable, you're going to make everyone
0: else miserable. Exactly. I know this sounds like a little woo-woo, but if people see that light in you when you're doing what you're doing and being so happy, I think that spreads. That's infectious. I think it inspires other people I'm so happy to hear that your parents are freaking damn proud right now, which they should be. That really helps, but also seeing how it brings out a light in you, brings out happiness. It may not always be happiness all the time. You still go through ups and downs no matter who you are, but still, you're at a place where you feel good and mostly happy from your accomplishments. Fuck yeah. Why are our parents not happy then? They have no other choice but to be happy and be like, you know what? I'm glad my kid pushed against our
1: wishes. My mom says that. She came to visit me here at Princeton and she was just amazed. She's like, I couldn't have imagined this ever. And it was really nice to have her see all the work that I've put into my career to see it manifested and to have my book in the world. There's a tangible object. And she could see material proof. Yeah. It's been incredible. And I do feel so much happier than I have ever felt before. I feel like I'm doing exactly what I'm meant to do. And I hope to make the world better through writing and guide young people and encourage them. And so I've ever really wanted to do was to have meaningful work and to be rewarded for that. I never decided to be a writer for the riches because that is ridiculous. No one should ever be a writer to get rich. Yes. (laughs) It's like impossible. Agreed, agreed, agreed. I'm very I'm fortunate now that I live comfortably and I don't have to worry about paying my bills on time. That is an absolute dream. I feel very lucky, but also I have to
0: remember that I worked for it too. Yes, you did. I'm so happy for you. If you don't mind, I would really love if you can unpack a little bit about your experience. You know, when we're talking about immigrant families and immigrant parents and the background, I would love to hear a little bit more about perhaps your parents' experience, you observing and, and watching them growing up. Up and
1: how that affected you? It's a very distinct experience. It's like a special club. <laughs> I used to watch TV shows when I was a kid and I'd be like, is that really how families operate? Yes. Because That's not my experience at all. <laughs> is that how kids really are allowed to talk to their parents here? I'm like, yeah, wait, why? Because I know not, I'm not. <laughs> that was not my life at all. No. I wrote the book for that reason because it's an experience that isn't really part of American mainstream narratives. And so I feel like we need to give voice to that. And so when I was growing up, we were pretty poor. My parents worked really hard. I was just a weirdo kid. He didn't really fit in anywhere. I saw the women in my family, and they were so resilient and so hardworking. But I knew that I did not want to live the way they lived. I don't want to work in a factory. I don't want to have children and like, struggle to provide for them. I don't want to be in a marriage that is unfulfilling. I want to travel. I want to do all these things. And so nothing in my life suggested that this was even possible. I never saw any sort of example. I decided that that's what I was going to do. It was very challenging because when you have no model, how do you figure it out? I didn't have any role models when I was growing up. I love my family and they were super hardworking, but I really didn't want to live like that. I could just imagine a lot of head and I'm not sure if
0: that happened with you growing up in your family, but I know for me, I have a lot of head oh,
1: That's completely true.
0: <laughs> for listeners who are listening in, and Erica is the author of I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. Your main character, Julia, She is very outspoken and she speaks her mind, which is what I love about her. And I imagine that you may have pulled some of that from your own experience. And reading that, I'm like, okay, if this is what I understand from parts of Julia's world and perspective, I can only assume that you had some headbutting growing up with your family where, you know, like you said, traveling, you want to do some traveling and stuff like that. I can see how maybe parents could think who haven't really had that chance to, travel to think oh gosh that's dangerous especially a woman in the world it's dangerous how much of that affected your actual personal dynamic and relationship with your parents because i do know sometimes when you go through arguments you get stronger and closer maybe that's more so with friends and friendships but how did that affect you and your personal ties with your mom and dad especially when you see the world differently because their own experiences are pulled from something totally different from yours
1: Yeah, no, we we had a really difficult relationship. Mostly me and my mom did. It was very strained. I was in some ways like Julia, very outspoken, kind of snarky, unfortunately. Also, <laughs> I, I lacked the maturity to really understand where my mom was coming from. And so that's something that I could understand now mm-hmm. um, that, you know, she came from a different time and a, a very different place. And a lot of the things that she did was out of love. She was just trying to protect me. But I felt like she was trying to control me at at the time. We were not friends. Like I said, TV shows about white families and the mom and daughter are, are friends. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, what? I can't even wrap my mind around it. That was not how I lived. All we did was bicker. I was very Americanized, had all these crazy ideas according to them but now there's a very different relationship there's a mutual respect it's nice to be able to get to that point because for many years all we did was argue with each other i think when you get to that
0: place it just feels like oh okay this is what it means to be adulting huh
1: yeah i mean in terms of traveling and like living on my own That's not something that Mexican girls do. That's unheard of. You don't live by yourself just because you want to. You live with your parents and you get married and you're never alone. I didn't want that. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to make mistakes. I wanted to discover things and be independent. That was pretty confusing to my family. They were like, well, why would you want to do that? Like, why would you want to move to a different country? Why would you... Go to grad school in a different state. I didn't want the protection of my family. I I wanted to be on my own. And that isn't really acceptable a lot of the time in traditional Mexican culture.
0: You really broke through some barriers at home. I'm not sure if you have younger siblings or maybe younger female cousins. If maybe you perhaps like even change the path in your own family and relatives, your circle, and to show, hey, this can be done. And it's totally awesome for women to do that i
1: have a younger brother and you know things are different for boys i was gonna sure. say i feel like boys are getting <laughs> a lot
0: more freedom i think in most cultures they
1: do so i feel like i paved the path for him somewhat i broke my parents <laughs> my mom was really a good son and then I came along and I just disrupted everything. <laughs> and and then Mario, my little brother, came after much later. He's 10 years younger than I am. Oh. By then, my mom had readjusted her expectations and her notions of what it means to be a teenager. So I think I helped. As far as my little cousins, I could think of a few. I hope that I've influenced them positively in, in some way. I hope that I can show young girls in general, yeah. in the world, that it's possible to have an independent, meaningful life and to like yourself in the process, because I don't think we're often allowed to like ourselves. Yeah. Unfortunately, it takes a lot of work. And I think it's worth it.
0: you were <laughs> just living your life, right? And doing the Thank best you. for yourself and pushing through. And now you've set an example, you're like a role model for girls all around. And I think that's incredible.
1: Thank you. I never imagined being a role model.
0: Isn't that crazy how things end up when you really live truthfully to yourself and you end up yeah. being one without trying to be? And I think that's the most incredible way of becoming a role model. Mario better thank you for giving him a <laughs> lot of freedom. I'm the oldest sister and I have two younger sisters, 10 years younger than me. And I feel like I... Broke in my mom a lot, and they have a lot of freedom, and it was a very different upbringing. They should be thinking you too. You know what's the funny thing? They do. They do every time my mom and I get in arguments, they're like, "Oh, stop arguing, stop arguing. Oh, we got a lot of things to be grateful for." Tian, thank you so much for helping us. I know mom never yells at us this way because of you. Thank you. I was like, "Oh, that's so cute." <laughs> no, for real, I'm so lucky. Like my sisters are so. I could not have been luckier to have girls like them as my sisters. That's what so I'm very very, very lucky. I know we talked a little bit about the inspiration behind I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, but I would love for listeners to hear like a snapshot of what you'd love for them to look out for, for those who have not had the chance to pick up
1: your book yet. The story follows Julia Reyes, a 15-year-old girl growing up in Chicago, and it begins with her sister's death. As she begins to grieve and go... Through the process of mourning the loss of her sister, she starts to understand things about her sister that she never did before, because her sister was the ideal Mexican daughter. But as she does more research into her life, she realizes that perhaps she was not. It's part... Mystery part coming-of-age novel. There's a little bit of a love story in there. It's about a girl who's really imperfect. I mean, it's it's there in the title. Some people are off-put by Julia because she's snarky and she sometimes sucks. <laughs> I'll be the first one to admit it. Sometimes she's not nice and she does the wrong thing. But I think it's important to portray... A complex girl of color. We're not always going to be model minorities. We're not going to be feminist role models necessarily. People fuck up and people do the wrong thing But also people are, they're trying their best at times. And so she's doing the best with what she has been given. A lot of people could relate to that. I didn't want a character who is virtuous because I thought that was boring. I wouldn't want to read that book. I think only conflict is interesting. And so I wanted her to be flawed and rough around the edges. But also smart and in some ways empathetic. And I created the book that I wanted to read as a kid.
0: What you were saying about Julia, I was like, well, I think she's mostly awesome. I love that she just says what she means and stands up. I think there's more characters that are like that coming out now, which I'm so thankful for, but we still need more characters like Julia. I do think it's a more realistic version of how teenagers can be overall. Yeah we're selfish as teenagers yeah and why not that's rite of passage you know what I mean that's how you become a teenager that you know that you went through a teenage phase yeah I was rebellious as fuck like I was the worst high school student ever me Like
1: too I was awful
0: I'm pretty sure you were not close to getting expelled wow oh goodness tell me about that it was some crazy shit I was always cutting getting in detention it was just really bad my mom was so pissed and so stressed I feel so bad for her now she's still Holds it against me till this day Oh wow oh. But you know what I'm Like That is so natural for most teenagers Unless you're locked up in some really strict household Well I guess maybe it's because I was from a really strict household That's why see? I rebelled yeah. But, yeah. You know I feel usually I see the calm kids that I grew up with Are usually the ones who have a lot of freedom yeah, they don't care for it. I can have it any time. Why even rebel for it? They didn't need to feel like they needed to shake up their routine on the daily. I needed to shake up my routine because I was bored as hell and just so bored too. It was a lot of struggle too. I was struggling with a lot of issues when I was in high school and middle school as well. So I needed to find some sort of outlet, and I think that was my way of having an outlet. And I think Julia, I think she's awesome. I think she's real, and I think she's refreshing.
1: <laughs> they have a lot of affection for her even though she's fucked up and but you know every character in the book is fucked up and i think everyone who is alive is fucked up that's what makes people beautiful right right
0: imperfections i think and i think there's just an issue when especially cultures stress too much on the importance of like you're talking about perfection especially Mm -hmm. for women and young young women at that who feel like they need to speak to people or at least role models around them that can allow them to see what their potential is and what is capable instead of being so structured in what other people think makes a perfect woman or a perfect young woman it just frustrates me because asian culture too growing up hearing you know girls shouldn't have this specifically my dad's side of the family they're like my god yin's eyes are so small you should think about having her get eye surgery to get double eye surgery get it bigger her hands are too rough why is she washing dishes without gloves she should wash dishes and help out with chores with mm-hmm. gloves because no one's gonna marry her because her hands are they're not beautiful I'm like what this is my dad's side though very traditional yeah. Taiwanese thinking it just is so ridiculous but my mom's side is opposite it's weird it's kind of ironic because I have to say the reason why they're so open is because of the western influence oh yeah that also brings about its own problems too in its own way but in that circumstance i was grateful that my mom and my aunts grew up under the british ruling system in malaysia so they're traveled and all that stuff my dad's side is not so it's very polar opposites, and being able to see night and day, it's tough. Like the idea
1: of perfect and what's imperfect. A young woman at a book signing came up to me. She was in her twenties, and she said, "What advice would you give to someone like me?" And my advice was, "Stop trying to please everyone." Thank you very much. Just because they're going to be up. miserable. Like it's yes. not possible. Everyone, yes. people are going to have opinions about you, no matter what, no matter what you do. People are going to disapprove. Live for yourself
0: yes I agree with that thank you so much I mean hello look at what you did and look at all your accomplishments not just career wise but personally it's a huge accomplishment you were able to go up against hundreds of years of what was expected yeah it's insane and it's very admirable I want to say I can imagine but honestly I can't I'm not in your specific shoes I've never lived with your experiences but from what I can only imagine from my own experiences I can only try to imagine how difficult it was oh,
1: you similar things, so you you do know to live a life that no one else agrees with to be the person that you are despite all the disapproval you get from the whole entire world not only were you up against what the ideas
0: of a perfect daughter are but also choosing the life as an artist is what most people doesn't matter what culture we're from most people are not cool with it most parents I mean before we wrap it up I better make sure we tap on more about your book and writing overall the majority of the listeners on this show a lot of them whether they just got literary agents or they're in the process of finishing their manuscript. No matter what process we're at, Everyone can agree, there's always going to be ups and downs. And when the downs are really down, a lot of listeners do bump into writer's block. I was just wondering, is this something that you bump into or is this something you believe in? I know some authors, I was surprised, don't believe in writer's block. But for you personally, have you run into it? And is this something that you see as writer's block? And if you do, how do you get through it?
1: I don't experience it because I feel my whole life revolves around writing in some form or other. And so, If I am unable to write, then I go on a run or I look at art or I go to a dance performance or I watch a documentary or I read. And so for me, that's part of the work. I'm not physically writing, but I am engaging my imagination. As a result of whatever activity I do, I come up with one small idea or an image and I put that in my notebook. For me, that's worthwhile. I don't believe that you could stare at your computer for days and not know what to write. That doesn't make sense to me. Okay. If you're stuck, go do something. Yeah. Go draw a picture. I don't know. <laughs> in the world and get your creative juices flowing read a book my advice to writers is to read more than you write because why would you be a writer otherwise like if you didn't love to read you have to love to read exactly. and I think that's where I get most of my ideas I think writing is an ongoing conversation with writers of the past and writers of the future and so I think it's ongoing and I think it's boundless I don't think you need to see it as writer's block think of it as something that's momentary that you could adjust. I like that.
0: That's really helpful. I think always having a perspective and a mental shift can really change and remove a lot of situations that might be holding people back. I think that's very, very helpful what you said. And also I would love to know about your thoughts on first drafts and the revision process because I know there's a lot of listeners, especially in our private Facebook community, they usually talk about how it's tough like seeing your first draft. They're like, holy shit, this is the worst thing I've ever fucking written. I don't even know if there's hope with this draft. But then I with some authors, and they're like, you know what? The first draft's supposed to be crappy. And honestly, you start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel when you go through that revision process what is your first draft and revision process like? Do you have oh, like a perfect first draft or is it holy hell, what the hell happened? Catastrophic.
1: No, it's always a bunch of nonsense. A bunch <laughs> of segment, just like a skeleton of an idea. I love revision. I don't understand when people don't. I think it's exciting to see how I can make the work better. And once I have the first draft, then there's something I could work with. For me, the hardest part is coming up with the ideas. I am inspired. There are times that the ideas aren't coming. And so mining your subconscious for something fresh and original, that's daunting. But once you have a draft, then there's so much you could do. I really enjoy that process of chiseling and seeing how the text could become better.
0: You said something that really caught my attention. You're saying when it's The most difficult part really is mining for something original. I loved when you said that. I know that you drew a lot from your own experiences for your book. Overall, how would you feel is the best way to go from your own experiences there is no best right way but from you personally how you mind experiences that you felt were very original and you can literally write a whole book
1: from that sure where do i begin (laughs) (laughs) Uh, is very much fictional like i never had a sister who died Mm -hmm. some people just assume that that's what happened to me but it's not i i made that up entirely (laughs) some experiences were based on reality others were completely fictionalized I wanted to let the story go where it needed to go rather than to make it into something that it, it wasn't meant to be i allowed a lot of time to write it i took start to publication it was about 5 years and i did a lot of daydreaming and you know going on walks and I went to certain places that I wanted to include in my book. There's a park that's in the book. and, And as I was taking a walk there one day, I had this idea for a scene. And I think you just need to let your imagination roam. And I think you should surprise yourself. If you're not surprising yourself, you're not surprising the reader. That's how I approach writing. And that's how I approach teaching as well. Love
0: that. That's going to be a quotable. Before your book, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, you wrote a collection of poetry. How do you feel the differences now that you've, you've tried both? You did really well in both for lessons on expulsion compared to I Am Not Your Mexican Daughter. What was that emotional process like working on both of them? What
1: were the differences for you? And if you lean more towards one? I think I'm always going to be a poet no matter what. Mm-hmm. I love writing in all three genres. I'm r- working on essays. And I think each requires a very different emotional space. Mm -hmm. I think it's all very emotionally exhausting and draining. (laughs) Yes. No matter what the genre, because if if you're going to commit to it, you really need to go there and need to be completely immersed. I think for poetry, the process is much more mysterious and it's slower. I don't really produce all that much I have one new poem since the collection and I think that's okay because I'm all about quality over quantity I think with prose it's more intentional I could plan more and I could be like I'm gonna write a story about this and maybe it won't pan out exactly the way that I envision it and that's actually better because then I surprise myself. With poetry, I can't do that. I have to wait. I mine for things and stuff, but I have to wait until the poem starts manifesting itself.
0: I love that you said also that each one requires you holding space for different types of emotions as well. That was really powerful. I... Would love to know, what are you most excited about right now, about your work? What are you looking forward to that we can look
1: forward to as well? Sure. Well, right now, there is some interest in adapting the book for a movie. Oh my God, congratulations. When did this news hit? Well, it's not official. It's just like very preliminary. There has been interest and I'm hoping that comes to fruition congratulations erica doesn't that feel fucking good
0: that people want your story out there in a more worldwide reception
1: yeah it feels unreal because for so long we've been absent from every
0: people are hungry for stories like yours how incredible is that did you tell
1: your parents what were their reactions yeah i mean everyone's thrilled of the possibilities (laughs) (laughs) in It, it's something beyond anyone's expectations. I always dreamt of something like that. That's what I wanted, but it's hard to know what's going to happen. So the fact that people are interested is really, really cool. I was
0: just going to say no matter what happens with the end process of this, the fact that people show interest in this is incredible and it should be also celebrated in itself. So thank you. Massive congratulations to you. That is fucking huge. I'm so thrilled for you and your family too it's a big big deal (laughs) you are so so awesome and please let's wrap it up with where listeners can find you and say hi yeah i'm on twitter erica l sanchez instagram also
1: erica l sanchez
0: any recommended books anything that you read recently or that classic that you love off the top of your head I feel like you share yeah. the ones that are your most favorite. So if there's any they could share with us, I'll link it up in your resource section in your show notes page.
1: Yeah, I've been raving about What Girls Are Made Of by Alana Arnold. It's a really great book about girls and sexuality. Very well done. And it was also a National Book Award finalist. So oh my that's gosh. how I found out about it. And it's incredible.
0: Erica, you are awesome. Thank you again so much. Thank you, Thank you and have an awesome rest of your day. You too. And that wraps up our episode with... With Erica L. Sanchez. Erica, it was wonderful having you on the show and I loved our conversation. The storytellers, thank you so much for hanging out and listening in as always. Please say hi to Erica on Twitter at Erica L. Sanchez and head over to her show notes page at 88 cups slash podcast slash Erica dash L dash Sanchez. If you enjoyed today's episode or if it helped you in any way, I would love to ask for your support in taking a moment to subscribe to 88 Cups of Tea on iTunes and please leave a rating and a review. Producing a podcast takes a lot of time and we put a lot of heart and soul into making 88 Cups of Tea the best that it can be. When you take those specific actions of subscribing, leaving a rating and a review, that really helps our show become more visible to new listeners who haven't heard of us before and we're really trying to get the word out about our podcast. Thank you so much in advance for helping us grow our community. Don't forget to join our private Facebook group if you want to hang out with fellow writers and listeners from 88 Cups of Tea. I'm so excited to see you in there. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 Cups of Tea. Have a wonderful and super productive rest of your week and I'll catch you next Thursday. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.